Well, folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune, because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thanks for joining us here. This is the forums edition of the Rec Poker Podcast, which means that we're going to take a forum post or a subject from the free learning community at rec.poker and talk about it here on the air. Um, If you don't know what Rec Poker is about, we're a fun-loving, enthusiastic bunch of serious recreational poker players. Uh, We love playing the game. We love studying together. We love championing each other's wins and commiserating with each other's losses. Um, Come find your rail at rec.poker. All it takes is an email address and a smile. Um, Most of what we do is free. We have a premium membership that you can try for only $5 by using the code recpoker. And after that, it's only $15 a month. But like I say, we're a largely volunteer-based organization. A lot of what we put out there is free and it's available, um, which is why it's so important that we thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Bruchon over at Website Amp. Um, But it's not just uh, the sponsors that are important. It's not just our premium members that are important. Uh, The real core team here at Rec Poker, the Wrecking Crew, is the group that gets together. And throughout the month, they provide a lot of the training material. Uh, They are active on Discord. They respond in the forum posts. They host the study groups. They're involved with the strategy conversations. Um, It's really what we do here runs through the Wrecking Crew. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I'm Blusterini in the home games and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. I'm so proud to be one member of the Wrecking Crew. But if you want to find out more about the other fine folks that help me and everyone here at Rec Poker do what we do, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can listen up because you'll meet a few of them right here tonight. Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Kim Kilroy. Well. I'm Pat Vatter, Fergie 56 in the home game and Pat Vat. 33 on Twitter. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50, just about everywhere. And if uh, you don't hear Kim's voice for the next little while, it's because she's working on some technical issues. Kim, we will be here if you need to go and come back, so don't feel any guilt on that front. Uh, We will soldier on without you, although your insight is much appreciated in these strategy conversations. So uh, folks who listen to the show often know that here in our uh, premium membership at Rec Poker, we have a different learning theme of the month every month. And that kind of spills into some of our community activities in the podcast and everything else that we do. Um, so this month, November, the theme of the month was responding to three bets. And every month, Chris Jones runs a play along, uh, play along uh, seminar where our premium members get together. They play on Poker Now, which is a great site, a free one where you can uh, share your camera and you can have people. In this instance, Chris gives himself the ability to see everyone's cards. We record about 90 minutes of play between a series of uh, Rec Poker Premium members. And then Chris takes some of the hands from that action, uh, crafts a learning seminar based around those hands on the subject of the month. And then even uh, Darrow Kearney uh, comes and leaves his own input, runs it through a solver, and tells our Premium members how they could do better. So like I say, the theme this month is responding to three bets. And you might say, Well, there's only three ways to respond to a three bet. You can fold, you can call, or you can four bet. And while that is technically correct, uh, you're leaving a lot of kind of nuanced information in between the lines there. So, uh, Chris, why don't you talk to us a little bit about just like what's important about responding to three bets and what are some things that you learned while you were putting the seminar together this month? 
Uh, I mean, I, one of the big things that we did look at was, um, yes, we have these these three sort of actions we can take, but um, the the types of of hands and the types of spots where we take those actions can vary based on a lot of different factors. And so we we really tried to look at the hands that people played, but also looked at some of the theory involved and really looking at things like um, position and stack sizes and SPR and how uh, how big the opening size is, how big the three bet is, you know, all these things can can sort of factor into our decision making when we decide what is our approach to how much of our of our range that we opened are we folding, how much of it are we calling with, and how much of it are we uh, choosing to raise with. Um, and I, you know, one of the other things that I think was a big takeaway for me in kind of theory land, um, which I had sort of internalized strategically, but never like had never really like, maybe this is obvious to everyone else, but it, w- it wasn't something that sort of crystallized in my mind until I started really digging into this was like the types of hands that we continue with are not necessarily based purely on equity. So equity, uh, if we're looking at like if we if if we take a situation where we looked at a situation where we have a, a where in a forty big blind effective pot we have an open from uh, the cutoff and the small blind three bets and it comes back to us in the cutoff and if we look at that situation uh, let's say we open to two point two big blinds and they they raise to nine um, now we have to call six point eight. Uh, in order to try to uh, compete for a pot that is now, when we call, up to 20 big blinds. So we would need, technically, if we just look at pure equity, we would need around 34 35%. We'd need that amount of equity to make this call if we just lived in equity land. But that's, but like a hand like pocket twos has about, against a, a, a typical sort of three betting range, can have about 39% equity. So why don't we why don't we just call all the time with pocket twos? Like why why are we why are we fold like typically maybe sometimes you get a little spicy with them and you might raise them but but typically if we open pocket twos and we get three bet we might be folding that hand and so why aren't we calling with that hand and we talk a lot about that in the in the seminar I think it's really interesting and I had never really crystallized to me like the reason you're you're um you know continuing of the hand like maybe ace king or ace queen in in some uh shape way shape or form and folding a hand like pocket deuces even though pocket deuces has an equivalent even a better equity than some of those ace king ace queen hands is because of equity realization which is the idea of it is harder once we get into a post flop state to take our pocket twos and get them to show down because the only real way we're going to do that is by hitting a deuce, you know, otherwise they're going to be tremendously hard to play because every card above ours is going to be an overcard. Um, we're never going to know where we're at. Um, and they're just much, much harder to get to showdown. So there's, there are, there are these kinds of hands and things that you have to think about when you're, when you're defending um, three bets that uh, go beyond sort of those really basic sort of equity calculations. 
And I thought that was a that was a really good sort of conversation we had. Hmm. I think those are, that's maybe where I would start. Yeah, I'm always kind of I'm always interested in like the factors that we consider in the moment of those because you know responding to three bets is a very uh, uh, levels of poker um, uh, aspect of the game because when you're opening, your open range is is almost entirely determined by your stack size and your position and maybe who's in the big blind, but it, it's kind of like a personal decision <laughs> what your opening range is going to be in any given spot. But once someone three bets you, and now you're responding to the three bet, it's really a lot more about them. It's not It's not really about you <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you know? it's, it's really about like, what kind of player has three bet me um, what kind of what range of hands are they going to choose to three bet me with? What what kind of hands are how, how are they going to play post flop with different parts of their range? And so it's I think it's a real mistake for us to get into this kind of cookie cutter approach of saying, like, these are the hands I four bet with. These are the hands I call three bets with, um, because you pointed out at the very beginning, like stack size is going to be really important. And the the other people in the hand. Um, there are going to be other people in the hand and you kind of know who they are. And so that can influence your, your decision a, a, a lot more. Um, and, and if you're in position or out of position, right? Yes. Yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, you raise in early position and you get three bet by the button or the cutoff, that's a much different animal than being three bet by the small blind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Rob, um, like when you're when you're the open raiser, let's say if you're under the gun, you're gonna have a a range, you know, more closer to ten percent, and if you're on the button, it's gonna be closer to forty percent. Um, when you're facing a three bet, uh, does it matter? How do you factor in sort of like your own position and your own range in that in that kind of a thing? Um, like when you're, uh, I know when, uh, under the gun in early position, you're gonna have fewer hands that you're folding. Just because, uh, just because you're opening a tighter range there as well. So, do you find that that affects how you respond to three bets as well? Well, yeah, because your opening is going to be stronger hands, obviously, from under the gun than you are, say, from the cutoff. And then again, is it the small blind that's three betting me, or is it the button? You know, because the if if I'm going to be out of position in the hand, that's going to also affect the hands that I'm going to continue with. Because to Chris's point, equity realization um, has a lot to do with the position. Mm-hmm. So you are in a much better position to realize your equity from the button, no matter what, because you mm-hmm. are you have position all the way through the hand. Um, so if I'm, like I say, if if I'm going to be in position in the hand, then I'm going to be able to play a wider or call or yeah, I guess call a wider range of hands than I would if I was going to be out of position in hand. So uh, Chris, we were kind of talking about how there's all these different factors. Um, where, where, where can we start or like, what, what are the, what's kind of like the, the decision making process that we're going through when we're facing a three bet. So you said like knowing what your stack size or the effective stack and sort of making some assumptions about your opponent. Um, but talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, when we, when we want to look at uh, first thing um, our effective stacks, like um, and, and the SPR, like, can I even 
reasonably if this three bet isn't all in right if they they've three bet me but not all in um what are do i even have the option of calling like sometimes it's so awkward and somebody might make an awkward three bet where it's just like this is this is sort of not even so but let's put that aside let's just say that there's a there's a reasonable stack in play and now the question is what are the kinds of hands that we're going to fold and what are the kinds and i think that's the best place to start really is there's going to be a class of hands that we're going to want to continue with either through uh, a four bet or through a call. So let's start to eliminate the hands that we know we can just at least get rid of. At least that's where I would start. Um, and I think what we want to look for, so equity realization is a big one. Like is, is this hand, whether I'm going to be in position or out of position going to be one that I can, uh, cause the only way I'm going to actually win with this now is to get my opponent to fold or to get to showdown, uh, and actually show a winner. And so is this a hand that I can carry through that has some playability for me post-flop that I can carry on with, uh, in what's going to be a much, what we have to remember about three bet pots is that, uh, ranges are tighter and more constrained and, um, are, are, if we get into a post-flop spot, our range that we're going to have, like they're going to be closer in equity to our opponents. Um, so we might still and, have the advantage. And Chris, um, you just mean because, because neither player has much garbage in their range at this point, because right. a, a it's three not going to be like, is tighter and... like a button open and a big blind defend. Now everyone's got just trash and they're wide ranges and they're hard to figure out. And, or, you know, a small blind, you know, you know, completes and the big blind checks. Now, I mean, you know, th- those ranges are not what we're talking about here. This is, these are very tight, strong ranges that'll have some, yeah, they'll have some of those speculative hands on board, but uh, there's not going to be a lot of trash here in general, unless we're, you know, some opponents maybe, but, but in general, certainly from the, the three, when we continue a, the three bet aggressor might have more trash than the um the three bet defender. Mm-hmm. Um and so anyway, so these ranges are just going to be really constrained. Um, and that's just something we have to remember as we get into these post-flops situations, because we have to be able we have to play them differently than we would um you know, maybe the bread and butter post-flop situations that we're used to. Um, And that is a mistake that I see a lot of players make Um, that they approach, they they think, okay, well, you know, there was a three bet and I called it, but now we're post-flop. I've been in post-flop situations before. I'm going to treat this like uh, I was the cutoff. I opened and the big blind called and now we're away we go. And it's a bunch of high cards. Well, you can't have much, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go after you, um, even though I don't have anything either. And that is that is just not the kind of approach we can have in these spots because our, our opponent can have a lot of those strong holdings in this spot, and their range is going to be tilted towards that versus that like big blind defend range. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it makes sense to me. Totally. Yeah, you're getting the you're getting post flop with if you're the one responding to the three bet, then you know you've already 
A, when you chose to open, you limited your range by only opening, you know, the top X number of hands that you would in that position. And then when you're facing the three bet, you've you've folded some of those hands as well. So you're getting getting post-flop with a much uh, tighter and stronger range of hands. And that's going to intersect with some of those medium and high bores a lot better than uh, a wider range would. So how, how do you choose, Chris, uh, which hands to call with, uh, which hands to fold, and which hands to four bet? And what are what should we be thinking about when we're trying to decide what to do with those? Well, so let's, let's, uh, we talked about this in the seminar. I think it's an interesting, uh, topic for conversation. So, cause like this, I think can give us some general principles. Um, let's say we've got a situation. It's all the same, right? We are in the, uh, middle position. We're in the hijack. We open, we get three bet by the small blind. It comes back to us when we have, uh, an 80 big blind stack a 50 big blind stack and in the a 20 big blind stack we've been shoved on presumably um where do you think we fold the most mm. at gto which which of those when we get three bet in these spots we're in the hijack we had 80 big blinds 50 big blinds 20 big blinds which of those stacks do you think fold the most to the three bet I'm guessing it's the middle stack, the 50 uh, big blind one. My theory is that the 20 big blind ones, we just don't have enough chips back to kind of worry about having a second best hand. And at 80 big blinds, we've got enough big blinds back that we can call with some speculative hands and kind of crack the strong range of the three better. So my guess would be it's that 50 big blind raise, uh, range that we do our the most of our folding. What about you guys, Rob? Again? I think it to me it it depends more on the person doing the three betting. Yes, because I'm I'm going to look at at the type of range that I expect them to have. Now, old man coffee, you know he's only doing that with aces, kings, and ace king. Um, I know that for a fact because that was me for many many years. I <laughs> never I would never three bet anything other than aces, kings, or ace king. Now, I'm obviously I'm much wider today than I was then, but there's people like that that they're only going to, and I see them in our home game. I see them online that, that when they're three betting, they don't feel comfortable three betting anything except for the very strongest parts of their range. So now all of a sudden I can make a decision of probably folding a lot more of my range than I would against say, Chris, if Chris is going to three bet me, I know that he's going to have the type of range that I can play against with more hands. Oh yeah, guy's a maniac. So, yep. Well, he's not a. I don't think he's a maniac, <laughs> but he's capable of having. Um, yes. A, he's capable of having a more polarized range. Um, maybe, maybe not in the small blind. The small blind, I think you're going to play a little bit more linear range if you're going to three bet. But, but I still think that that he's going to have a lot, a big, a white, a much wider range than an old man coffee. So that allows me to play a much wider range of my opening hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of the, so like, um, we definitely want to make this opponent dependent, but it, I was kind of like, when I was asking the question, I was thinking more. And one of the reasons I like to ask about this at a GTO, and I know nobody we know plays GTO, but um, we, um, 
we can learn a lot from GTO strategy in terms of like how we approach these things and think about them at least. Um, and I think one of the things that's maybe more evident as we talk about it, but kind of interesting is it's actually because it's such a big bet, it's actually that short stack where we're going to be folding the most. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's a, it's a, you know, instead of like a seven or eight or nine big blind bet, and it's not threatening our entire stack, uh, we need a much stronger range to call this off at that, at that short stack. Um, so that I thought was sort of interesting as well, just as kind of thinking about, uh, you know, how much of our range we're actually going to fold. But I think potentially what's maybe more interesting is, okay, if we look at, that 80 big blind range and that 50 big blind range. And we looked at a hijack open and a small blind three bet. And we look at the hijack. The t- So they, they actually are folding similar amounts of hands. There, there's It's folding a little bit more at the 80 big blind range. It's like 40... One percent, and at uh, we're folding forty-one percent or forty-two percent at the eighty big blind range, and we're folding like thirty-six percent at the fifty big blind range. So we're it. There's not much. Uh, there's not many. There, you know, there's we're folding a little bit more when we're deeper stacked, which sort of also makes sense because we don't want to get ourselves into a lot of trouble. So we're folding some of those more marginal holdings. But I think one of the interesting things is when we compare the types of hands that we are folding, mm. they change a little bit. Um, it's not just like, oh, we're taking that, whatever, that 40% that we were folding at 80, and we're just chopping off the, or we're adding in a few more because we're folding a little bit less at 50 big blinds. We're actually thinking about the types of hands that play better uh, at a deeper stack versus a sort of a middle stack versus a shallower stack. So so we actually want to start to think about the types of hands that we fold um, when we're sh- when we're shallow, middling, and deep stacked. Um, and I don't want to get into this the all the specifics of it. We talked about it, but but that is something that can then start to if we look at this at GTO, it's not that we necessarily always play GTO, but it can start to build some of that foundational theory on which we build our own strategy, right? And we can say, well, um, there are types of hands that I'm supposed to continue with when I'm deep that are very different than the types of hands I'm supposed to continue with when I'm shallow. Um, And whether that continuing is through a raise or through a call um, is, you know, another topic for conversation. But it's that is the beginning, I think, of starting to really think about this in a more nuanced and deep level is to really think about those kinds of differences. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the the frequency with which you fold doesn't change that much, but the the set of hands that you fold uh, differs a bit according to the qualities of those hands. So can you kind of generalize a little bit and say, if you were shorter stacked, you might fold more of these kind of hands, but if you were deeper stacked, instead you might fold some of these kinds of hands and what those hands might have in common. Yeah, let me, so when we look at this, I'm just actually pulling it up just to make sure I'm not leading us astray. But <laughs> That's my um, job. So, yeah, so uh, I said, okay, we're folding 42% of hands uh, when we are 80 big blinds deep and 36% when we are um, 50 big blinds deep. 
But when I look at the, the hands that are folds, um, and maybe I should even sh should I share my screen? I yeah, sure. It. I mean, yeah, folks. If I know that people can't home, see, but we can kind of describe it as we go because it might just be helpful for everyone to see. Yeah, um, and then we do we do put these out. There is a video version if you're listening at home. You can go to YouTube and uh, oh, I'll remind the... you to I'll remind you about your audio. I gotta I gotta have access. Oh yeah, okay. Here we'll stop sharing for a second. Um, yeah, so while Chris is sharing his screen, I'll just uh, say, that, yeah, folks, if, if you're listening along, feel free to just click pause and uh, go find a computer that you can load up YouTube on. And we do a, a YouTube video version for all of these uh, all of these episodes as well these days. So you can go and, and see the screen. Uh, so Chris has put up GTO Wizard here, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, about what the display shows us all here. So here we are. We're a hijack. We've opened. Small blind has three but us. Uh, and we have a decision to make, and I have just uh, singled out our folds, right? So these are the the hands we're folding. We're folding 42%, and I just kind of look at them, uh, and I'll I'll click off this so you can see the rest of the range that we're actually doing something else with. You know, we're we're calling, we're raising, we're doing something else with. It's everything that's not gray. Basically. And this is, this, is, this is our entire opening range and how the different parts of it respond to the three bet, right? Right. Yeah, and so, okay, right. So we're, again, this is kind of what that range looks like. And you can see it's really targeted um, in this kind of like these kind of like lower suited hands, which, you know, we don't have anything else that we're doing anything with. So it's like these, the queen nine suited, the queen eight suited, the king eight suited, the king seven suited, the king five suited. A lot of these were, were, were ejecting as well as some of these, uh, really kind of terrible offsuit Broadway hands, the kinds that can get us into some like lots of trouble, like the ace 10, the king 10s, queen 10, jack 10, queen jack, king jack. These are the kinds of hands that we're ejecting, right? And and, and, and and what people will notice if they're paying attention here is that it's typically, it's the the lower ranked of the cards that is becoming uh, the, the factor here. So like we're continuing with king, queen, but we're folding king jack and king 10. Um we're the 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 we're folding, you know, queen 7 suited, queen 8 suited, uh but we're continuing with queen 10 suited, queen jack suited. So it really is um it's it's those if you can envision the the graph that you see, you know, that little arrow going up towards the top left, it's those hands that are kind of around the edge of that arrow. Those are the ones that are getting folded. It, it's a pretty linear uh progression here. And then some of our really bottom pairs, but because we're deep, a lot of these bottom pairs, like the fives and the fours, they're 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 barely being folded, right? Like the 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 deuces get folded a lot. Threes are still more often something else besides folding, and then mm -hmm. every other pair is in 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 it to win it, basically. Um, <laughs> right. So I yeah. want you to look especially at these uh these bottom pairs as we go over um into let's see did i do this right my where am i yes 50 big blinds okay so now we're looking at this and this part looks fairly similar but we have started to do something with uh some of these kinds of holdings and, you know, some of these other, like, 
these kinds of hands start to become interesting little weird four bets and things like that come into play. Um, hands like hands like suited kings and low suited. Oh, aces. sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Not everyone can see. So no, yeah, that's okay. Great. Yeah, king five, king six, king seven suited. Um, where we were folding them in the earlier example. Uh, now at this stack depth, we're continuing in some way with them, whether calling or or forbidding. Right. And and part of that reason is, and and you'll notice if I do this now, let's let's just let's keep going with this. Let's go down to thirty five big blinds and go hijack open, small blind raises. Now we're back in the hijack. Now we're looking at the folding range. Now you're seeing, you know. A, a lot of these are starting to sneak in. The ace 10 has snuck in. Uh, ace jack has snuck in. Um, a lot of these these king sevens and king eights are starting to show up as as calls rather than folds. Um, mm-hmm. So there's 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 been there's been a change. And then if we can't keep keep going even further, and this is just as the stack depth gets lower. We're actually getting stickier with some of these high card hands. Is right. that was that fair way of assessing it, uh, Chris? Right. And now, once we get um, once we get really shallow, we're we're starting to. You'll notice that that none of these sort of ASEX suited hands start to uh, find themselves um, as folds. This is again at GTO. Like I'm not recommending you play this way because we're rarely often playing against GTO opponents, but I think it's interesting to see how these ranges start to change, uh, as stacks get shallower. Um, and if you have access to something like range trainer pro, if you have access to GTO wizard, if you have access to some of these charts, this can be a really good practice to start to look at what are the types of hands that change as stacks get shallower, um, because this can help you start to sort of adjust your own approaches in your own ranges. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really interesting. I'm always, you know, on all the HUDs that I've put together, the stack size is always the biggest, most uh, obvious stat, the live stack size in big blinds because I just think it's the most important factor when it comes to a lot of poker decisions. But particularly in this kind of arena, you can see how how impactful it is. So that's that's really interesting um, to see how much it changes that kind of uh, that kind of a thing. Um, so that that describes kind of some of the hands that we're going to release when we face a three bet. It's going to be kind of those some of those fringe hands. Um, and you can, you know, it's a combination of their rank and how playable they are. Uh, when we are going to continue, is uh, is there something that the hands that we continue with have in common, or the ones that we choose to call versus four betting? Um, and I, I know position matters a lot, so it's going to be harder to uh, to get into uh, to apples and apples here. But um, can you talk well, a little bit about what that looks like? Let's do this. I'll do it one more time. And uh, now I'll show you the. We're going to look at these same ranges, and I think this is where it starts to become even more stark mm. or more interesting. Okay, here here we are at eighty big blinds. Um, what do you notice about the? Okay, we're in the hijack. We've been three bet. What do you notice here? Well, we're really not purely folding uh, much at all. A lot of these are continuing in some. In some way, some either is a call. Looks like a lot of calls. I yeah. would say, yeah, that's the calls. big thing. 
That's the big yeah. thing to notice. Um, so we already talked about the kinds of hands we're ejecting, but of the hands we're continuing with, like, and you should ask yourself if you're doing this, because I I probably am not. Uh, I'm probably not doing this as much as as I as I should either. But at GTO, if we're playing against you know a GTO computer or somebody who's really playing close to theory, we are calling a ton when we're deep mm-hmm. stacked. Mm-hmm. Um, we're only taking an aggressive action with like seven or eight percent of our hands. And this is in this example, we are in position, right, Chris? We're in the hijack. Right, facing we're in the, the hijack the small against. Blind. Uh, so right, 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 right. And yeah. that would radically change if we were out of position. But, yes. Um, but let's let's just change this down to forty. Let's just have our stacks, hijack open, small blind, um, and we're still calling like a lot. Uh, we're folding less, and now we're starting to to raise all in more. Um, but go back, to, go back to the eighty. Go back to the eighty for a minute. An interesting thing about the aggression and where you see the aggression, yeah, is aces, kings, ace, king suited are the only hands that we are raising some of the time, but we're calling more of the time than we are raising. And then it's interesting that the all-in from 80 big blinds, we're actually going all-in at some frequency with jacks, queens, and ace-king offsuit, Mm -hmm. which I think is very interesting. So that's where your aggression is coming from. None of the other hands, we're we're not finding any uh, bluffing aggression here to speak of. It's all very high-value hands. Yep, yep. That's right. When we're we're four-betting here... um, there's a, a, it looks like a four, 4% of the range is continuing to a not all in four bet and uh, about three and a half are just jamming. I, I would have told you that, uh, uh, yeah, 80 big blind seems very deep, <laughs> but when you, even, even in position, you know, that's, uh, when you've got a, a balanced range, it's going to have, it's going to have that in there. And yeah, you're right, Rob. I think, um, like ace eight suited has a couple, yeah, uh, it has ace- like, nominal small, it's doing it at yeah, like nine percent so there's like the time yeah there's and this is where you get the like you know uh, it's a computer that's like well i've got to balance myself somehow so i'm gonna right. raise a little bit of ace and like this is stuff like a human brain probably can't even accomplish that much but when you yeah you see the aggressive actions here it's a very strong linear uh, yes range jacks, here jacks plus an ace king right i mean there's yeah, not even right. it's it's i mean this is this is this is the old man coffee raising it, range. it is it is um, and i don't i don't know how many humans are actually going to call very often with aces ace king suited or king king right 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 you know yeah. most of, at 80 big blinds most of the time you're going to try to raise again to see if you can get the guy to commit yep yep that's exactly right yeah, that's um, very interesting. And so then let's look at the, I think then, because th- it is really interesting to then look at this difference. So the difference here uh, at 40 big blinds, we've just halved it. Now, now we have a lot of more bluffing candidates. Yeah. We have ace five suited, ace seven suited, tens, jacks, queens, king, jack suited, ace, queen, offsuit, all of our ace, kings. Um, and we're still flatting with aces and kings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, again, you may not play this way. It may not work in your game, but it is interesting to uh, start to realize that 
okay, now that we're in this sort of middling stack, we have more opportunities to to both polarize ourselves, but also trap with some of our best hands, uh, where we just flat with those. Those be- protect some of our flatting range so that we can flat with some of these other um, you know, suited connectors, the queen tens, the jack nines, the jack tens, suiteds, um, and our aces and kings. Um, it allows us to sort of think about these these spots a little bit differently. Yeah, and if you, if you think about our games, um, if you raise all in with some of these hands, like ace five suited, ace seven suited, king jack suited, uh, ace queen offsuit, pocket eights, you're gonna mm-hmm. raise all in. A lot of times, a four-bet all-in seems very, very strong in the games that we play. And people are going to put you on aces and kings. And it has been, and GTO has you actually just calling those aces and kings. Right. Right. And as long as, interesting. They, as long as they don't all know that, then uh, yeah. you're, in, you're in decent shape. Well, you that's what I, I mean. That's, that's why you can get away with with raising with those because in the games we play people are going to think you've got aces or kings more of the time and and they're going to have even a narrower calling range i i think it's really interesting that at 40 big blinds we don't have a four bet range that's not all in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes that is also very interesting um well, well what would that sizing be right and that is the question i guess uh I guess it you know, would be almost a min click, right? If we if we did it, right? Because you know, if we bet, if we're three betting, or if we're if we if the three bet is like eight or nine big blinds. Well, it says it's seven point eight. So if we went even went to twenty, it's half your stack, right? Yeah, that's so sixteen just, or seventeen right. then. And then you have much less of a you have less than a pot size bet left for the for the flop, which is right. Like, but do we ever have like a four bet fold? Well, of obviously in GTO land we don't. We either call or we shove all in mm-hmm. if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, stay in the hand if we're not gonna fold. And it's right. it's interesting. It gave it a raise. You know, the the raise option was to four, fourteen that sizing. So. Um, maybe I can't imagine though, if you gave a solver the option, we could try to run it sometime, but you know, if you gave it a little bit of a larger sizing, um, I doubt it would pick that, but it might, it might, that would give you potentially some, you know, it feels really ugly to, to raise that that much and then fold, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I could see us uh, like exploitatively doing that when we knew we were never going to fold with exactly hands like aces or Kings or something, um, yeah, tried to induce. Yeah. To induce, to induce or yeah. to, uh, uh, to make a trivial such to make the, to create some trivial decisions post flop when the SPR is so low, but, um, that's not going to be, you're not gonna be able to balance that effectively. So, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, and that's some of the stuff we talk about in the seminar. I think, you know, we'll we'll let people dig deep into that a little bit more there. But um, I think that's where where I think it's really good to start. If we can start by looking at some of these GTO examples, these are not then sort of our guideposts. 
they're you know they're not the thing that they'll be like oh i'll memorize this chart and play exactly this way that's not what we're saying and as rob described earlier you know we've got to uh take a real estimation of our opponent that's going to really inform some of our decisions but what we can learn from these charts is okay well these are the kinds of hands that they're folding at equilibrium mm. so that can at least start to inform my strategy and then I can adjust based on all those other factors that are coming into play. And maybe sometimes I I will be uh, being much more aggressive or much tighter, but I can at least understand how I'm starting to base my play. Um, and I'm, this is, this is the, this is the work that's that I think modern poker is taking us towards. Uh, it's the work we need to do. Um, and you know, it's the kind of study that's actually, it's, you can learn a lot of things. There's a lot of like eye-opening things that you see when you start look, digging into these, these kinds of charts and sort of like figuring them out. Yeah. And we're looking here at, um, you know, GTO based solved charts, um, so that we can learn some kind of pure strategy in the games that we're playing, you know, we had Ryan LaPlante on the show a few weeks ago, and he was talking about um, responding to three bets because it was the theme of the month. And um, he really reinforced how important, how villain dependent this was, right? Yeah. Like how important right. it was who you were playing against, like Rob is saying here earlier. Um, because people don't respond to three bets or four bets in a balanced way, typically. This is going to be an area where people will make mistakes. They'll either be too tight or too loose uh, with the wrong hands. And so if you've got someone who's always who, who, you know, always folds to four bets, then you should be four betting them with more of the blocker kind of ace five, ace seven kind of hands. If you have players that never fold to four bets, then you don't need to have a balanced range here. Just hammer them with the top of your range. And um, you might not even include ace king in that range necessarily, depending on, on what they're continuing with. Um, so, you know, we're. We could not cover this subject in one podcast episode, and we're not going to try it. Uh, a lot of the more nuanced stuff, you can go to Rec.Poker, get a free community account. There have been a lot of forum posts about this. Uh, Discord has been buzzing about the different uh, uh, hand histories we've talked about along this line. Uh, there's a bunch of free videos on YouTube you can check out for this. But the premium uh, content for this month has really been based around this subject. So we go much, much deeper into responding to three bets and some of the premium material that's available at Rec Poker this month. Um, why don't we just leave our audience with a few sort of like just general rules that uh, that they can use when they're facing three bets? And, uh, and then we'll wrap this baby up and let everyone get home to their families. Uh, the So like for me, for instance, I'm always just thinking about I mean, stack size, like you say, is the most important thing. Do we do do we have room to four bet without shoving? And not often in, in the tournaments that we're going to be playing, is that the case? When you get deep stabbed, maybe that's something we can worry about, worry about balancing a little more. Um, but the range of hands that our opponents are three betting us with is obviously crucial. Um, if there is, so if you see someone, some kind of maniac who's three betting a lot, they're going to be a better candidate for some of these lighter four bets because they're going to have some more folds in their range than someone who only ever fold, uh, over uh, only ever three bets you with queens plus and ace king. So that would be one for sure. Um, and then whether you're in position or out of position, 
might affect the hands that you choose to call with. You might call with some more suited, more connected hands that would have to find either a fold or a four bet otherwise to continue with them. And you, if you were out of position, when you're in position, you can call with some of those more speculative hands that will be more flop dependent than uh, than some of the other some of the other ones. Um, what about you guys? Think, Is there anything else? I think, yeah, Rob. I think one of the things that that I like to to do when I'm raising first in is kind of look at the opponents that mm. are left to act and are they liable to be three betting? Mm. And then I, I want to know when I make that raise first in what, what my response is going to be to a three bet. A lot of times the hands that I'm opening and I get three bet, I know for a fact, I'm just going to fold right away. I mean, it's just, there's no thinking about it. Uh, then it obviously it's, based on the opponents because you're thinking ahead to the opponents that are that are left to act are they liable to three bet and if this player three bets and it has a lot to do with the stack sizes of the different players too because you're going to respond differently to a three bet from a 30 big blind stack than you are from a 60 big blind stack so um the that's i kind of like to look at that when i'm making my raise first in mm-hmm and I'll, I'll even go one step further than that. Uh, you know, every time you consider opening a pot, we always say, look left. Look left and see how interested the players to your left are in the hand. If you have a, an aggro maniac a couple seats to your left, this, this subject of responding to three bets, we talk about it as though it happens after you've opened and gotten three bet. But like Rob says, you might... It's not even a question of knowing how you're going to respond. You might choose just not to open that pot. You might, if you've got very active three betting opponents to your left, that can act, if you're being smart about it, that can that can influence your opening range. And maybe you just don't even bother opening some of those hands that you're often going to have to fold to a three bet. Um, that's an even better way to save some chips. Uh, and it also means that when you do respond to three bets, you're doing it with a stronger range. So you're going to do it with with a range of hands that are more comfortable calling or four betting. And uh and that's, you know, obviously stronger ranges are better for a lot of a lot of the decisions you can make in poker. And and uh, to to add to that, one other thing that I think as recreational players we have to sort of start to recognize, especially if we're playing in tough fields where there are really strong players, um, you know, pros in the field we are going to have some targets on our backs mm. until we figure this out. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, really strong players are going to be th- three betting, you know, and we, we can identify the players. They're only going to be three betting, you know, Queens plus and ace king. And, and that's a pretty easy player to play against. But the, but if you're ever frustrated at the table, like you feel like you're being targeted, somebody keeps three betting you or a whole table keeps three betting you. And there's a bunch of strong players there. And it's really frustrating. Um, they might be. They may not be, but they might be. And part of the reason that that might be happening to you is um, I do talk to some recreational players who I think always uh, in the games that they play, if they if you find yourself in one of these tough games or a table that's that's tough and the game you normally play is people only three bet when they have queens plus an ace king, your learned response to that behavior is to fold a lot. 
Um, and when you get into a tougher game, you're going to have to learn a different set of behaviors. You're going to have to learn to uh, sometimes four bet light if you're being three bet too often, sometimes defend with really reasonable speculative holdings uh, and be able to carry that with you, especially in position, carry that with you post-flop and make this this pro take some really awkward lines with their 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 kinds of holdings um, and stop assuming that these players always have aces and kings when they do this um, because they don't. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Well, let's leave our audience with um, one arrow in their quiver that they can always use uh, responding to three bets. If you feel like you're in a position like this where someone's three betting you more widely than, than would be advised, light four betting is really the best weapon that you can bring to that fight. Just calling and then folding when you don't make a hand post-flop is not helping you. Um, if, if they're three betting too much and you're just calling pre-flop and then folding post-flop when you don't hit a flop, you're just putting more money in their pocket than if you'd folded. Um, so folding uh, uh, light four betting is really your only way to kind of tell them to leave you alone. And they will. Um, it, if they see you four betting a bunch, they're they're going to counter exploit by tightening up their three betting range. And that's that's a better place for you to be. As we've looked at it. When you're when you're for, your four betting range is pretty tight already. So even even in a vacuum, your four betting range is pretty tight. And even if it was only value hands, it's not that many combos, right? It's like queens plus an ace king. So you don't need a lot of bluffs or semi bluffs to balance that small combo range. It's not like even we talk about balancing an opening range, or we talk about well, we talk about balancing a three betting range. You know, a three betting range has a lot more combos than a four betting range. So it's going to have a lot more bluffs in it. Um, when we looked at the chart there, it, it sort of looked at ace five suited, ace seven suited. You know, those were the only real bluffs. Uh, you know, pocket eights, uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to say. <laughs> if you were to tell me that I could only choose a couple hands to four bet bluff with, it would be with those kind of bad suited aces that have a blocker value. So they make it less likely that my opponent's three betting with a very strong hand. And then they have a lot of playability post flop because they can make the wheel straight or they can make the nut flush. Um, so you want to have, you get to be very selective, I guess is what I'm saying. You get to be very selective with the hands that you choose to four bet light with. And you don't have to worry about doing it that often because you're not going to be four betting for value that often so um don't feel don't feel like you're uh have to really reach in down the bottom of the barrel to find some some good candidates for that um what what about you guys like do you have hands that you like to four bet light with or is it always just kind of a sliding scale of of how wide you think their their three betting range is or anything like that like for me, it's just it's, it's the suited aces. I I can't help. Yeah, I mean, I I like those hands. Um, if uh, and actually, I can think of an example from yesterday. There was an opponent who was just, just you know, just wild, wildly doing this way, 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 way too much. Uh, and I had a HUD, so I could tell. And I right. Um, and and I saw some showdown, and I was like, okay, all right, this player just loves the three bet just loves loves it loves it loves it and um 
I so the, in that case, I was like, well, I have to I have to open this up even more. And against that kind of opponent, I actually like having I like I mean, ace blockers are nice for for a normal or even a slightly aggressive player. But against a really wild player, I like to have a little bit of value. So that's where I like those kinds of pocket sixes, pocket sevens, pocket eights, uh, pocket fives. Um, of course. Where, where I know that their range is so wide. And and if I get called, I still have a value that's going to beat everything that's not paired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some that I, against maniacs, that I will slip in as my four betting range. Um, I don't because like those might be hands that we more speculatively just call with and see if we hit a set and you know can stack somebody if they have aces. But if they're that wild and crazy, they're not going to have aces as as often. And I I I I did a I did a very big uh, four bet bluff uh, with pocket sixes yesterday against a kind of player like this. I shoved for about uh, fifty big blinds against their. Th- their three bet um and you know i got the fold um and i i i felt good about it you know i didn't i didn't i, I did not and i it felt like the right play um and so like i think opponents p- p- dependent we can make those kinds of plays and those are the kind of hands i'll start to add after those ace ace x suited type hands are those sort of like middling pocket pairs that i don't really want to against some players i'd like to take them into the streets with against some players that are maniacs i just want to get the hand over with and take take my equity and run with it yeah and then again just uh you're probably going to call more in position which means you're going to four better fold more out of position so yeah. whatever whatever hands you might choose for it that's just another kind of general rule that uh that people can use I to think, make that I think in general the, the games I play I don't see that I don't see that aggressive three betting going on um so I don't really I haven't had a lot of practice four bet bluffing <laughs> right <laughs> because the three bet ranges are so are very very tight in most of the most of the scenarios that I get find myself in so yeah, well, and if they're not three betting, and, and uh, listen, some players don't think far enough ahead to have a three bet range that includes hands they're going to fold to a four bet. So if they're just going to continue with all the hands that they three bet with, don't don't bluff into them <laughs> because they ain't folding. So you could have all the free flop equity and the blockers and everything you want in the world, yeah. but. Uh, Sometimes you just gotta like look at the look at the player across the table and, and make a decision there too. That's what a lot of this stuff comes down to. All right, well, thanks, Chris. And again, I'll, I'll say uh, if you want to learn a lot more about this kind of stuff, go uh, head over to Rec.Poker, get a premium account, use uh, the code RecPoker to get your first month for only five dollars, and then check out the video archive and you can uh, catch up on all the stuff that we've been doing here. Um, so my thanks to Chris Jones, of course, to uh, Kim and Rob for coming along, and. Uh, I almost did it. I almost got there, gang. We're going to, here we go, hitting our audio cues like a professional. Um, Of course, we have to thank the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Prashan from Website Amp. But the most important person is you, the one listening right now. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.
was so close that time, Kenny. <laughs> Have a good night.